Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm with my beautiful, wonderful Star Wars loving wife, <laughs> oh, Michelle. Thank you. Hi, everybody. So good to have you with us. We are recording this episode on Sunday, May 19th, 2019. It's a fun day. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, but mainly we're talking about Star Wars Remembered, and it's right. getting into the good movies again, <laughs> finally. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. And we're looking forward. We have a guest coming on today, yeah. so that's fun and exciting. Yeah. And we're only less than two weeks now till Star Wars Galaxy's Woo-hoo! Edge. That's exciting that stuff right exciting. there. We'll talk more about that. Uh, thanks for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere. You can find podcasts. What we really want you to start doing is go to our website. We're starting to spruce it up a little bit, doing a few more things with it. Uh, hopefully you like it and you can find all our podcasts there. That is HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us and better yet, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. You can also find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Right. And we really would appreciate if you could tell another person or friend or family member about us and just let us know what you think of the show. Right. Uh, We'd really appreciate that. You know, telling friends, telling people you know about us and that this might be a podcast they might listen to uh, is the best way to get the the notice that we are exist out there. But also, if you have the time, a rating on one of the podcast sites is great. A review is even better. We've had some great reviews over this last almost a year now. Uh, We really appreciate you all, but that is also how other people find out that this podcast is something that they might like to listen to. Absolutely. We also love this to be an interactive Mm. um, podcast too. So we love to hear from you. Uh, We're very active in social media, Mm -hmm. but you can also reach out to us at uh, Hyperion Adventures podcast at gmail.com and let Mm -hmm. us know what you think. If you have some ideas, you'd like to see something switched up as we always say, uh, we really appreciate that feedback. Right. Uh, we're very active on social media. We have a lot of fun. Our Disney family out there. We have a great yes. time with everybody. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and now Pinterest, at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Uh, we just have a great time. We post pictures, GIFs, GIFs. What, I never know I if it's know. GIFs or Does GIFs. anybody really know? So I usually say both just to cover the bases because somebody gets angry if you just call it one or the other. <laughs> okay. So I just say both. Uh, but we have so much fun and comment on so many different things that are happening out there in the Disney world, Star Wars, Marvel, all that stuff. It's so much fun. And by the way, we are just a couple of weeks from our anniversary show. Yes. And all of you out there, you know, we love all of our listeners, all of our friends on social media. We would love for you to be part of our anniversary show. Uh, If you want to comment to us about maybe your favorite moment on the show, maybe something that made you laugh, something that made you tear up, um, maybe your favorite episode of the show, just whatever you want to say about the show, write to us or send us a recording of something. We'll be more than willing to share that on our anniversary show because yes, it's going to be all about us, but we also (laughs) want it to be all about you, our Hyperion adventurers, our Disney family, our family out there uh, because you have inspired us to keep this show going and, and make it so fun for us week in and week out. I think you'd agree, Michelle. Oh, absolutely. You know, we have gotten such wonderful feedback from people. It, it's really touching and it's humbling. And so we do 
really appreciate you all. We'd like to play homage to you mm-hmm. and, you know, be able to share some of your feedback on our, our anniversary show. Yeah. So we've got two weeks to get that out. So we'll, we'll be cutting that off on, uh, at noon on June 2nd. We'll just need anything you're going to write or, uh, send in vocally or that's recorded or whatever to us. And you can send that to Hyperion Adventures podcast at gmail.com. Or you can also write us on, find us on social media or whatever, and write right. whatever comments you want out. I already gave them out. I'll give them again at the end of the show. Uh, please contact us. We'd love to hear from you and have you be a part of that anniversary show. Exactly. Exactly. So let's get on to this week's show. We've got a lot of stuff yeah. for you today, including a new way to enjoy the Lamplight Lounge at Disney California Adventure Park. Mm-hmm. An iconic Disneyland structure is back and looking magical. (laughs) We'll talk about that. And we'll welcome a brand new batch of Disney legends. But let's get to our main topic of the week. Once again, we're continuing our Star Wars Remembered series. And yes, we are finally through the end of the prequels. We are doing Star Wars Episode 3, The Revenge of the Sith today. Yeah. And actually, it was released on May 19th in 2005, so 14 years ago from today. Today, yeah. Yeah. As we're recording this, of course, on uh, Sunday, May 19th. So yeah, that's exciting news. And uh, we always like to do these shows. We bring on one of our favorite Star Wars fans who has a great podcast. We bring on Robert LeBerry from the Jedi Temple... from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I can say I'm sorry. It's a cold. I have a cold. I'm dealing with this cold. It's cold medicine. It's That that must be what it is. I, Way too much Benadryl in you. Yes. Anyway, Rob, thanks again for joining us on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me again. Uh, so good. Always Rob has such great input on all this stuff. And yeah, you really should check out his show. We'll get more into that after we get to this segment and all the ways you can find the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. But I'll just tell you, his show is fantastic and you're really going to want to uh, check it out when you get a chance. So let's move on. Let's get to this segment here. Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural is it possible to learn this power not from a jedi the council wants you to report on all the chancellor's dealings that's treason we are at war anakin i need your help son i'm appointing you to be my personal representative on the jedi council on this council but we do not grant you the rank of master. What? Obi-Wan and the Council don't trust me. Learn to know the dark side of the Force and you will achieve a power greater than any Jedi. You're under arrest, Chancellor. Are you threatening me, Master Jedi? Every single Jedi is now an enemy of the Republic. Do what must be done. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. Who could have done this? Twisted by the dark side, young Skywalker has become. I feel so helpless. You and the 
chosen one! All right, so there it was, the trailer for episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, it's such an interesting movie. And we're now finally getting into, I think you'd all agree with me, back into Star Wars as we want Star Wars to be right. one of the better films, especially from the prequels. Far and away, in my opinion, the best of the prequel films. I know I don't know if you agree with me, Michelle. Yeah, I, I think I do agree with you on a lot a lot of points of that. I mean, episode one still had a lot of great mm-hmm. things and, and, you know, reinvigorating Star Wars back into our lives was good. But I agree with you for the most part, this was the best of the three. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's kind of a tale of two films for me as well, because the first half tends to suffer from some of the things mm-hmm. that, that made the other two movies uh, difficult to watch at times. But the second half of the film really kind of brings it all home. And, uh, you know, there's uh, obviously we we know who our favorite actors are in this particular episode uh, and really throughout the, the prequels with, uh, you know, Obi-Wan being the primary one who I really feel like saved a lot of them. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the just the battle sequences uh, in the second half of this film really kind of epitomize what I think, you know, Jedi and Sith battle should look like. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And we'll hit on all these points as we go through the movie here and kind of in the different categories, just as we've hit all the other films, uh, all the prequels so far to this point. Uh, but yeah, that I completely agree with both of you on in the regard of this film. And I also agree with you in many regards, Michelle, to the Phantom Menace, that there were a lot of good things to mm-hmm. like about the Phantom Menace. There were just some things that they missed as well in that. But let's get to the hype of this film as we start off. Uh, the teaser trailer debuted for this film in uh, November of 2004. Interestingly enough, it was attached to The Incredibles. So a little Disney tie there before Star Wars was actually a Disney property. Interesting stuff. It was also released online to AOL and StarWars.com hyperspace members. Interesting enough, AOL shows you where we were in the internet there. That's where you can find the trailer. But also interesting that this is where we started to see the proliferation of teaser trailers and trailers on the internet right do you happen to know how they revealed the title uh i don't remember so it was at comic-con oh. on july 24th 20 2004 okay so here in san diego nice nice i know there was a lot of speculation going into including some rumors out there and right. there was an april fool's joke as to what the title might be i i, I didn't write the note down on what it was but interesting stuff so uh rob when you did you remember catching the teaser trailer by any chance Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I had to fire up the dial up and uh, get right right out there and check it out. Right. No, I this was definitely the film that I was most excited about in terms of the prequels. Mm -hmm. Um, It was going to kind of bring everything to a head and, uh, you know, kind of bring us to where we start off episode four. So um, it was much anticipated. I figured there was going to be a lot more action in this particular film and kind of getting away from some of the politics. And uh, there was just going to be a big payoff. So, yeah, very excited. And uh, I don't I don't think there was any doubt that it actually did that as well, Michelle. Right. I mean, I remember a lot of the hype at the time being that this was the finale, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the culmination, answering questions and things like that. So uh, for, fortunately, it, 
it wasn't the finale. Right, right. That's true as well. Uh, but it was interesting going into this film that we already kind of knew the outcome of it, but it was like the journey to get there. Right. You know, we were excited to finally find the journey that actually, you know, how did Anakin Skywalker turn into Darth Vader? Spoiler alert. Turn into Darth <laughs> Vader, you know, I know right? So uh, very interesting. The first full trailer, by the way, debuted on the Fox Network during an episode of The O.C. Uh, on March 10th of 2005. It was then in theaters attached to the animated movie Robots, which also featured the voice of Ewan McGregor, by the way. Uh, and on March 14th, it became available to uh, StarWars.com hyperspace members. So again, uh, the proliferation of the internet really starting to pick up there right. and uh, more of the trailers being allowed to by uh, widespread audiences online. Um, Michelle and I, we again went to a midnight, I think this was the last uh, Star Wars film that we right. saw a midnight showing for. Bought the tickets early, we had to line up for it, but you know, the energy and excitement again to go see a Star Wars film was uh, phenomenal. Absolutely. And I think I remember this one I think we actually knew where we were going to sit, maybe? Uh, no, we no? didn't. This was, okay. again, we had to line up. We didn't have, they no, didn't right. have the reserved seating, at least not in the theaters we had gone to it that yet at this point. So uh, it wasn't actually until, I don't think we saw a Star Wars film where we had reserved seating until we saw The Last Jedi. That's when, true. Yeah. That's true. I just remember there was something easier about it than the first one, that it wasn't maybe because the internet was a lot more developed that purchasing the tickets was a lot easier. Yeah, that, that was for sure true. That was for sure. Rob, uh, when did you get to see it for the first time? I mean, I was there for opening night for this particular film. Um, I had a group of friends and I that went and saw it together. Uh, you know, we didn't have certainly didn't have reserved seating. We were just happy to have seating in our theater. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> You're not just sitting on the floor cross-legged. Right. <laughs> uh, no, it was, it. it was great. And we were excited to see it. So let's go through the cast of this film. We already talked a, bit, a little bit about this. Uh, Ewan McGregor, of course, back as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker, Natalie Portman, Queen, or excuse me, Senator Padme Amidala, uh, Ian McDermott, was Senator Palpatine, Darth Sidious, Frank Oz was Yoda. Again, most of these were many from the, definitely from Attack of the Clones, but many also from The Phantom Menace as well. A lot of these returning. Uh, Christopher Lee was uh, Count Dooku, Darth Tyrannus, although he was only in it for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, Tamara Morrison, uh, Morrison was back as all of the clones. <laughs> of course, he was Django Fett before, who was the, you know, uh, basically where they got the clones from. Well, now he played all the clones. Uh, Jimmy Smith was back as Bail Organa. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. Peter Mayhew finally back in Star Wars nice. again after skipping the last couple movies because Chewbacca wasn't a part of him, but he was back as Chewbacca in this one. Uh, Anthony Daniels again as 3-3PO and Kenny Baker as R2-D2. That was the main part of the cast. So right. uh, great to have them all back uh, I think that and you talked about this already Rob you and McGregor Ian McDermott uh, definitely the highlights of the cast wouldn't you agree Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, I, I liked a little bit more in this film than mm -hmm. a couple of the previous ones. He was a little less wooden. Um, and I mean, definitely Ewan McGregor. It was clear the work that he put in to really trying to adopt the speech patterns and the mannerisms. And in this one, he really kind of had the beard and the hair and mm -hmm. right. everything going. Uh, he was really selling Obi-Wan Kenobi um, fully in this in this particular film. Agreed with that. And Ian McDermott just chewed up the screen every time he was on it. You just could not keep your eyes off of him. Uh, you know, and I, I want to take, you know, just one scene in particular. And that is that scene 
where he's meeting with Anakin Skywalker at the whatever the Cirque de Space that they're right. at, you know, uh, and just the scene where he's talking about Darth Plagueis the Wise and telling the story. I mean, you just you just grip at that scene and it's so interesting i know you called it creepy michelle it but it is it is so but yeah skin crawl creepy but it's so good at the same time it is. it's amazing yeah rob your thoughts on that scene i love that that was the mon cal uh mon calamari opera um i'm really hoping that's the new cirque show that they're going to put into disney springs because <laughs> i think that'd be awesome um yeah i mean that that particular scene i think was one of his best of the entire series um right the probably his low point in the entire film was when Anakin and Obi-Wan and Dooku are all fighting and he does that cringe worthy little. Yeah. 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 I know that's uh, true. You're right. Uh, I don't know how that got missed in editing um, or, or why they thought that was going to be a big plus for the film. But right. you know, that was the one time that he did something and I'm sure he was like, I can't believe I have to do this, but uh, yeah, he just, I mean, he just emanates that, that slick, uh, sleazy evil, uh, as he's trying to seduce Anakin and you can tell that he's got him hook, line and sinker. Oh yeah. Yeah. So much. He's, he's just, he's just reeling him in, reeling him in. He's got him. He could tell, and he's, he's planning for it. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll soon have, uh, an apprentice that will be younger and much more powerful, you know, right, right. <laughs> it's so good. He does a great job of, you know, and we've talked about this in the past too, how he, you know, one, he's building Anakin up. So Anakin, you know, does feel that bond with him. But at the same time, he's also isolating Anakin from the rest of the Jedi mm-hmm. and, you know, saying this is why you're different and this is why they're bad and you don't want to be associated with them. Agreed. Rob? Uh it really kind of takes on even more uh, import, I guess. Um, and I'm going to say spoiler alert here because there is some information <laughs> that's been released fairly recently uh, regarding who Anakin's father is. So anyone who doesn't want to hear that, you know, jump ahead 10 or 15 seconds. But right. uh, it was revealed that uh, Palpatine actually was the one who manipulated the midichlorians and impregnated Shmi Skywalker. Uh, so Anakin is his son. And, uh, you know, he is clearly uh, trying to bring him along uh, and, you know, groom him to be his, his apprentice. Um, and he just, again, it's just that it's emanating that evil, uh, that he sells so well. Oh, and, yeah. and he even talks about it in that scene and he's talking about Darth Plagueis, the wise, and that he was able to, uh, you know, uh, work the midi-chlorians uh, to create life. And that's exactly what he does. Uh, you know, and this is coming out of the uh, Star Wars, I believe it was the Darth Vader comics that are out now. That's where the story is. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, very interesting stuff as well. Yeah, it just, it just lays more to the groundwork of that entire scene. It, but it's just so good. It's just such... A, it, it is arguably one of the top, I don't know, five or ten scenes in Star Wars history. Sure. Well, the other thing about that scene as well is that as he's talking about Darth Plagueis, he is clearly just sneering. He he is so uh, you know disgusted with the fact that he had all this power and couldn't even save himself, and kind of you know preening a little bit because he's the one that killed him. Right, although right. it's never really overtly stated, but you know he's he conveys all of those emotions so well in that scene without you know ever overplaying it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about his apprentice is the one who you know, who killed him, right. and that he is actually the apprentice. Is uh, at least that's what's been uh, told out there, and I, I have no reason to believe that it's not the case that he was the apprentice that killed Darth Plagueis the Wise. Right. So, 
uh, interesting stuff. So let's just get over the synopsis of this film. I'm sure most of you know it anyway, but I'm going to go through it just in case. Uh, the film begins three years after the onset of the Clone Wars. The Jedi Knights are spread across the galaxy, leading a massive war against the Separatists. Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi go on a daring mission to save Chancellor Palpatine, who has been captured by Count Dooku, is being held aboard a Separatist ship of Coruscant. Later, the Jedi Council dispatches Obi-Wan Kenobi to eliminate the notorious General Grievous, the leader of the Separatist army. Meanwhile, Anakin Skywalker grows close to Palpatine, the Supreme Chancellor of the Galactic Republic, and secretly a Sith Lord, not so secret, obviously, we've just talked about it, uh, known as Darth Sidious. Their deepening friendship threatens the Jedi Order, the Republic, and Anakin's best interest. Along the path of the film, we travel to a few new planets, including Utapau and the literal hell planet that is Mustafar. Um, I, I just thought the, the journey of this film, I know you thought that the beginning of it was a little choppy, and I do agree with you in many regards, Rob, that there's there's a couple of those scenes that kind of harken back to a specifically attack of the clones, but also to the Phantom Menace a little bit. And usually those scenes have to do with whenever it's Anakin and Padme together, and there's some sort of lovey-dovey supposed talk that they're trying to do and the, the the scene that really always gets me is the one on the balcony you know where oh, yeah, she's brushing hold, her hair <laughs> hold me like you did yeah like you did in that boo, oh, in the, no. yeah, it's yeah. Just, um, the other i mean the other thing it's not just the anakin and padme scenes that they get a little uh choppy as well there's you know some of the cgi work that they did specifically mm-hmm. uh in the battle between uh anakin and obi-wan and uh count dooku uh there's a scene there where you know obi-wan gets flung across the room and has a balcony pulled down on him and it just i mean they, they now you probably it would be an amazing scene but at the time the technology they were working with um it didn't come off quite as smoothly as i think they hoped and right. They just went with it. So um, I feel that way with a lot of the clone scenes too, because all the clone scenes, uh, there was never any armor that was actually built for this. No clone armor. It was all the clone scenes are CG. Uh, yeah. uh, so and, and I thought they were a little herky jerky in their movements and such. Um, so uh, I, I think that was where a lot of you saw that this was the early work of CG and maybe not to the level that you would hope it to be, especially right. now when you see films nowadays. Right. Yeah, I mean, there were some there were some quirky scenes that weren't really great, but I thought you know they were such a smaller part of this film that there were so many great scenes in this film that you could kind of look past. I mean, yes, it it drew back from this film and not being so great. It could have been amazing, uh, but there were just a couple of those scenes that just were a little clunky, kind of along the lines of yeah, Attack I would of the agree Clones. With that. But like you're saying, overall, you know, you can appreciate what they were bringing, right? And again, yeah, and easily, easily the best of the prequels. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, this is all spoilers for this movie. So if you haven't seen it, I apologize. But uh, the other scene that really always gets to me is Padme's death scene, um, which just it. I know you have a theory on this, Rob, and I've heard your theory many times. And we'll discuss that here in a second. But, you know, it's just the whole oh, she's lost the will to live I thing. I mean, it's one of the things that I really don't like about how they developed uh, Amidala's character in this is that she's many times a very strong person, a very strong woman, and they make her weak at the very wrong times. And the fact that she's lost the will to live or she's dying of a broken heart right. or whatever the case may be, just kind of, it, it just kind of bothers me at the end yeah, of this film. Yeah, you know, I agree. And especially the fact that they had her not only see the babies, but name them, you know? And I think... 
it would have probably been a little bit more believable had it was just that she was losing it and she wasn't even, you know, in the moment to know what was going on. But, you know, that much engagement that you're naming your kids, mm-hmm. I find that really a hard sell to say. And yet she still just decided she gave up. Now, Rob, I know you have big thoughts on that scene as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't buy for a second that she ever died of a broken heart. Um, I do agree that a lot of the things that they do with her in the final two films make her look less like a strong, like the strong character that we expect her to be, and that she really looks to be uh, in the Phantom Menace, um, and you know, and that you would expect from the mother of Princess Leia, who was certainly a feisty character in her own right. But um, and rewatching this film. Uh, there's specifically some scenes um, when Anakin is at the Jedi Temple uh, executing Order uh, 66 and kind of doing the purge of the Jedi Temple with the 501st. And, um, you know, Natalie Portman, uh, Padme, is standing on her balcony looking across the city, and Anakin is kind of standing in the Jedi Temple looking back across at uh, at where Padme's at. And they seem to kind of be able to feel each other's emotions. There seems to be a connection there. So I'm still kind of up in the, up in the air in terms of whether it was Palpatine, uh, that was the one that actually caused her death by, you know, siphoning off her life force to keep Vader alive or whether he had just created that connection between them. And it was actually Vader in his rage and anger and, you know, pulling everything in so that he could stay alive, uh, to, you know, wreak his revenge on, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. But, there's to me it seems pretty clear that palpatine uh as he masterminded so many of the other things in these films that you know he's i believe he's the one that was causing the uh the dreams that anakin was having about the death of padme um and kind of using that to you know generate uh fear and um you know the desperation that anakin had to try to save her uh he was doing all these things to try to you know uh loop Anakin into the dark side of the force and kind of commit him uh, to that course of action. And, uh, you know, I, I think that be it Palpatine directly or whether it was through Anakin um, that, you know, it was basically the life force being pulled from her to keep Vader alive until he could get encased in the suit of armor uh, and, you know, uh, to the point where he could sustain himself. See, I'd like to believe that because it's preferable to it's because she died of a broken heart or right. di- lost the will to live or whatever the case may be. I just knowing how George wrote many of these prequels, I, I tend to this is kind of something that they've done after the fact or some people believe after the fact to kind of reconcile it within their minds. I don't necessarily believe that that's the case. I, again, I'd rather have that be the truth. Right. right. Um and sell it in the movie that way. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I, I do believe that there was definitely a, an emotional tie between Anakin and Padme. And I, I do sort of believe that Padme had a little bit of uh, a little bit of force-wielding ability within her. Not that she is powerful enough to become a Jedi or right. anything like that, but that she's a little bit of a force user herself. And, you know, of course, anybody who loves somebody deeply does have some sort of connection. Right. And I, I think that that comes through. And yes, you could see that. I know that scene exactly you're talking about, Rob, and I do believe they kind of felt one another at that part. I just, I, I again, I want to believe what you, you're saying, Rob, is the truth. I just, I find it hard to believe that that's what George was thinking when he first made it. <laughs> 
So. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's there's a lot of different theories out there. This is, you know, the one that I tend to subscribe to. Um, primarily, I just, I, I have a hard time picturing her dying of a broken heart. I mean, she seemed far uh-huh. too strong and practical um, to feel like there was no reason to go on if, uh, you know, just, just due to Anna can fall into the dark side. Um, she always seemed like the person that would do whatever had to be done. Um, so right, I, I right. just don't, I don't see the broken heart at all being the case yeah or the lo- you know losing her will to live right it would have almost been better just to say you know we can't figure out what happened and then leave that mystery to be was it something you know like you're saying associated with keeping anakin alive until he could be coming you know into his suit of armor or whatever you know it i think just leaving that out and leaving it a mystery might have made it a little bit easier to handle and and gave some intrigue to the story, actually. This would have perfectly been believable that she could have died in childbirth, you know, that right. could happen, sure. or it yeah. could have been she perfectly was, believable that she was choked, that she was a few minutes choked right, you know. <laughs> I guess that maybe they were trying to not pin it on Anakin that he killed her, right. um, but... Uh, it just it always bothers me whenever I watch the film. But I want to get away from the negative parts of this film because I actually believe that there's a lot of great about this film. And I, I'm just going to start with, and you touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the segment, Rob, is the tone of the whole second half of the film is perfect. You feel doom and gloom and and you want to talk about, we, we've discussed many times about how uh, Hayden Christensen maybe didn't portray Anakin the way you want. He's a little too pouty, a little too whiny, and sometimes wooden in his performance. But I always go, whenever I watch this film, whenever I rewatch it, I go through this film just ho- really buying into it all, his performance at the end, hoping and praying that he will not do this every <laughs> right? single time I watch it. And I feel it. It's a weight on my shoulders every time I watch this film. I don't know what you think, honey. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I really did appreciate how, I mean, some of the darkest scenes or could have been the darkest scenes that um almost like Hitchcock you didn't have to see it to know Mm -hmm. how bad it was like Mm -hmm. with the you know him going to the temple and killing the younglings Mm -hmm. I mean you didn't have to to really see it to know it was horrible in in your mind you knew that and you felt that right Rob your thoughts uh just in in regards to Anakin we've talked about this so many times before, but having watched the entire Clone War series, again, you understand the heights to which he'd risen as mm-hmm. a hero, um, but you also got to see even more so than just in the films, the number of times where he was tempted by the dark side and kind of crossed that line. And every time it just made it a little bit easier. And even in this film, I mean, when when he stops Mace Windu from killing the Emperor and, you know, cuts off his arm and, mm-hmm. you know, Palpatine throws him out the window um even then he he is just disgusted with what he's done Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he can't believe he's done it he he's sick to his stomach but he's committed at that point i mean there's no going back from what he'd done and um it you know it was it was powerful and and definitely his acting got better as the film went on Right. I think, you know, I mean, I, I think that the way it was written as far as the love interest with him and Padme, we've talked about it many times that that was just written clunkily. And that's 
uh, part of the biggest problem of this. But I think when you you look at the 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 whole thing, I I think when he was actually playing Anakin, especially in this film, that I thought he did a very good job with it. And as far as what you were just talking about, Rod, the one scene where he's on Mustafar after he's just uh, wiped out the separatist leaders, and he goes mm-hmm. out kind of on the balcony there and is just looking over the literal hell that's in front of him, and he knows he's in hell both physically and emotionally and he's just shedding a single tear right. um it it has all the impact in the it's just a simple little scene but it has all the impact in the world right absolutely. i thought i thought that was orlando <laughs> <laughs> only in, only in august in august right <laughs> no totally agree with you um you know and kind of to go along with that and i you know as part of my research i did see um an interview with john williams regarding the music of this, you know, and he agreed it was the darkest episode. And that's why he said he felt it needed to have a quality of compassion in the music. Mm. And, you know, when, when I heard that and then started thinking and and listening to the music again, and like the scene you're just, just describing too, it does have that. It has that, you know, you know that he, you know, has regrets, but knows he's made a commitment to this new life that he's going to take. And he feels it's for the better, but it's also one that comes at a high price. I think uh, throughout all the Star Wars films that John Williams can't get enough credit for setting the tone of these films. And he did it in this one as well. The music is just perfect at adding the weight to it, along with the action you're seeing on the screen. Uh, John Williams is, we can't talk enough about John Williams. It's just so good. Yeah, I want to actually extend that a little bit. This is an important point that I wanted to bring up because while we have talked numerous times, um, and I'm sure we will talk in the future about the fact that George Lucas struggles to write believable dialogue, especially for some of the female characters, but um, not just John Williams. Uh, it's not just John Williams that should get the credit for the music because George will, uh, George Lucas, uh, as a part of the prep for these films, would put in source music cues for the various scenes that would evoke the same types Mm, of feelings that he wanted to get. And, um, he was really masterful at that. I've, I've listened to a lot of, uh, different podcasts and, uh, coverage of the music of star Wars and the, the cues that he was picking from kind of old Hollywood and some other films very much evoke the same feelings as, as the ones that, uh, John Williams would then go off and write. He would write something that would be, you know, similar and evoke those same feelings. So Lucas gets a lot of credit for how the music turned out as well. And he always said these films were meant to be silent movies, not in the sense that there was no dialogue, but that they're driven by the music and that music really evokes what you're feeling as the audience It kind of informs what you should be feeling. So, um, it was really that marriage of Lucas and John Williams that, that made, the music in these films so incredible um and just one other thing i wanted to mention um in regards to um the whole situation with anakin and padme when they are when they kind of have their reunion in the in the centered office building mm-hmm. um and she you know uh, conveys to him that she's pregnant as she, this ties in with the music as well, uh, because as she sits there and tells him, you know, I'm pregnant, instead of the music kind of rising up and being joyous, it gets really dark. Mm. Um, and so, you know, 
that was super cool. And there was even, um, and I think if you watch, uh, I believe it's called the beginning, which is, uh, talking about the making of Phantom Menace. It's mentioned in there that John Williams is sitting there asking about, uh, as he's creating some of this music, he wanted to see if Williams wanted, I mean, if uh, Lucas wanted to have that choral element, mm-hmm. uh, the male chorus that they have with Palpatine's theme. Mm-hmm. And even at that point, Lucas was like, you don't know this yet, but that's actually going to bear out really well in the third film. So mm. again, it speaks to how, you know, uh, Lucas had this all planned out in his mind. He knew exactly what he wanted from the music. And, uh, you know, Williams did an amazing job of delivering that. And it really paid off in this film. No yeah. question. I mean, I really, the emotion I feel through the whole last hour, at least of that film, is just, it's heavy. It's really heavy. And yeah, well, you know, John Williams right. and yes, George Lucas, uh, they just, you know, and again, this is this film was both written and directed by George, by the way. Um, so it, it, it he deserves as much as we've bashed him on a few things, and even in this uh, talking about this episode on a few things that how he's written things, uh, he deserves much credit for making this film right. as good as it is and striking as much of an emotional chord as it does. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think Lucas knew that writing was not his favorite part of these films. Mm-hmm. He was very good with the big picture, but, um, you know, some of the detail pieces and kind of somehow it came together, they were just, they were under huge uh, pressure on every one of these films. And we'll talk about it more as we get into the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, I mean, he had his own companies and his own money on the line for the making yeah. of these films. So, um, you know, he had to produce the very best film he could within the budget, within the time frame. And there's always going to be things that, you know, you wish you'd done better. And, you know, we'll see that with, with the original trilogy, especially and all the, all the changes that were made to episode four (laughs) after the fact um, that there's always things you wish you could improve. Of course, always, always. Uh, I also, we can't go without talking about the actual lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan and Anakin Mm. because in my opinion, and you know, were there more energetic lightsaber duels? Were there, you know, emotional lightsaber duels, you know, throughout the various Star Wars films? Yes, but this, when when you put it all together is my favorite lightsaber duel of the entire Star Wars series. I don't know what you think, Michelle. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, obviously the one with Darth Maul in episode Mm -hmm. one was fabulous too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this one definitely had a lot of emotional connection because of the the two people who were actually dual. Mm -hmm. Rob, I don't know what you think about it. Well, I think you do know what I think about. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, when you think when you think of Jedi and Sith, you know, these are these are beings that have hyper, uh, hyper fast reflexes. And you, re- you know, certainly when you think of like Obi-Wan and Darth Vader having their battle on the Death Star, that's kind of more of a slow drawn out, um, mm-hmm. battle. But the thing that made the battle between Darth Maul and Obi-Wan so great in Phantom Menace was the fact that there was that brief period of time where they just had this really fast exchange of blows. Mm-hmm. And this took that and extended it out. And, you know, then they intercut it with the fight between Yoda and Palpatine, mm-hmm. which, you know, even raised the excitement level more. But, um, you know, just to see these two battle-hardened uh, heroes of the, of the Republic uh, going at it um, in a life-or-death situation – 
uh, it was it was incredible. And then the culmination of it, which I know that yeah, there's a lot of people who make fun of the you know high give ground. up Anakin. I've got the high <laughs> ground. <right? laughs> but um, I heard something really interesting, and and it was a good point because you think back to Phantom Menace, and that's exactly the scenario that Obi Wan was in with Darth Maul looming mm-hmm. above him um, at the at the rim of the pit that he had fallen down in, and he did that you know vaulting flip over the top of Maul and uh, cut him in half, mm-hmm. and so he knew exactly what Anakin was going to have to do in order to, you know, basically uh, be able to confront him where he was. And that's why he was prepared to actually, you know, counter that move when it came. I, I also believe in it. You know, it's really interesting throughout this whole battle and there is so much emotion tied with it. And, you know, I, I, there are parts of where I believe like neither one of them really wanted to kill the other one. I think that Anakin eventually got to that point where he was ready to do it. Uh, but I think they went through a lot of it, but you could tell at the end, Obi-Wan didn't want, he, he even said going in, I can't do it. Right. And at the end, he didn't want any part of it. That's why he took the high ground and he's telling him, don't try it. Don't do it. You know, just surrender. And, you know, he does not want to kill Anakin and he doesn't kill Anakin. Right. You know, he could have, after he chopped his leg off, legs off, he could have went down there and put him out of his misery. But right. I don't think he had it in his soul and his heart to do it. He kind of figured like, okay, well, it's going to happen anyway. Right. But I didn't, you know, uh, the, just the emotion of it all. And yes, the battle and they're flying through hell and, um, and the, just, you know, the whole cinematography of it. And then the John Williams score in the background. And it's just so weighty. And I'm sorry, that's the only word I can come with. Because that's what I felt with when I was watching the right. film again just the other day. Was I just felt so heavy on my chest and my shoulders that um, it, it's just an incredible, incredible scene. Well, don't forget, he didn't just get both of his legs. He got his left arm as well. That's right. He got it all. That's quite a shot that he yes. took on him there. Wow. Yeah. But um, just interesting stuff. Uh, a couple other points from the movie that I want to point out that I actually picked up this time for the first time that I didn't notice, I don't think, ever before. And I've watched this film many, many, many times. Uh, but we'll start with just before that, when uh, he ends up choking Padme, mm-hmm. he reaches out with his robotic arm and does it almost like a little bit of more of the robotic vader version is the one that does he doesn't do it with his human arm he does Mm -hmm. it you know and i'm sure that was intentional by uh, george or whomever decided to design that up that that was the robotic version of vader right there that did that um just found that interesting the first time i saw it also interesting and again uh you know right at the beginning when he outs uh dooku beheads dooku at the beginning um, you know, Pat, uh, Palpatine's trying to tell him, look, you did the right thing. And he says, no, that's not the Jedi way. He was unarmed. He was helpless. Right. It's not the Jedi way to kill somebody. And then Palpatine kind of uses that to his benefit when Mace Windu is stopping him there at the, you know, in the throne in the uh, room, in the right. chancellor's room. And Mace Windu realizes he needs to kill him. Right. Obviously, that's already in Anakin's mind that that's not the Jedi way. They've already been beating that. You know, Palpatine's been beating it into his head that the Jedi are not doing what the Jedi are supposed to do, and right. that kind of sinks the deal right there. I don't know if you what you think about that, Rob. No, I I think that's exactly what was going on, and that was uh, certainly at the forefront of his mind. A little hypocritical of him to all of a sudden. You know, be ready to, <laughs> to right. hold Mace Mace Windu to the same uh, standard that he himself blew right through. But um, 
Yeah. And, you know, really, even in the battle with Dooku, he didn't he wasn't able to best Dooku until he started drawing on his own anger and Mm -hmm. hatred. And um, so once again, I mean, Palpatine played it just perfectly. And the other scene that I noticed for the first time, and even though I've seen it, but I took more interest in it was that right before that scene, when he tells Mace Windu that uh, Palpatine is a Sith Lord and, you know, he wants to accompany Windu uh, to, you know, stop this. And Mace is like, no, no, I appreciate it. You know, I gained my trust by doing this. Right. Wait in the uh, the chamber, in the, uh, the, the uh, Jedi temple chamber there, um, you know, for me and we'll get back, you know. And he goes in there and you see this red... Um, sunset essentially there you know which uh lucas uses a lot to you know show the emotion of what's going on the color of it the red is very part of the sith but also he's in this big chamber with many chairs and he's all alone again isolating uh very much anakin skywalker in alone even though he's kind of in touch with padme and she could feel something was going wrong he's still alone in this room right no, that that is a good analogy of you know what was going on and and again how it was bringing together that that isolation and what it the impact it had on Anakin. Yeah, and that, again, that's his biggest fear is being alone. Right. You know, of losing people, and he was alone in this room, and right. all he could do is think about this what's happening and possibly losing Padme, and that's what kind of spurns him to go back and right. you know make sure that the chancellor that things go right with the chancellor in many ways i don't know if you have any thoughts on that rob just that you know for the longest time it looked like palpatine was trying to eliminate uh padme he mm-hmm. was trying to kill her all the way up through the beginning of uh, attack of the clones but once he realized that there was that connection between her and anakin um he really turned his his attention to just trying to manipulate that into, you know, uh, create the dependency between Anakin, make him fear for Padme, and then put himself in a position where he's the only one who could potentially stave off the the mm-hmm. fate that he was seeing for her. And that's ultimately what, what saved Palpatine uh, when Mace Windu had him cornered, because mm-hmm. not only did Anakin have it stuck in his head that you know, it's not the Jedi way, but he had a need for Palpatine. He couldn't afford to have him killed because he was afraid that would mean Padme would die. And, uh, you know, so Palpatine, just the master manipulator as as per usual and always had uh, kind of an escape valve set up for him. Right. Exactly. I don't know if any of you had any other themes, uh, any thoughts on any other scenes that were going through it. Uh, Michelle, do you have any? Um, no, I think you covered it. I think the, the thing that was most emotional driven other than obviously the the you know the lightsaber scenes and things like that was you know just how palpatine was revealing himself and you know the 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 way they did it was i just thought was brilliant Mm -hmm. how they did that you know um in that scene and and, in subsequent scenes so rob your thoughts on these scenes uh really the only thing that that kind of got a laugh out of me was Anakin and Padme again in the in the Senate <laughs> office building and and their big reunion there with all the hugging and kissing mm-hmm. i all i could think was they would never make it in Washington DC <laughs> i mean you could not pick a worse place to right, uh, right. to have this public display of affection when you're supposedly trying to hide the fact that you have this relationship yeah, I, so i thought that was kind of a discordant moment but agreed. um 
you know, and I love, I love the scene, um, you know, when Obi-Wan is recalibrating the beacon in the Jedi temple, mm. uh, and then ends up seeing the security recording. Right. Um, you know, I thought that was great. And again, the, the battle between Obi-Wan and Grievous mm. is another mm. one of those things where mm-hmm. as much, as much weight as it tends to have, uh, you understand that this is a major player on the separatist side. But again, having, having seen more of General Grievous through the Clone Wars and seeing how effective he was against the Jedi and the fact that he specialized in killing Jedi and, uh, you know, taking their lightsabers as trophies mm-hmm, right. for Anakin to face him down one on one and uh, basically own him pretty easily, uh, and then chase him down and finish him off. That was that was pretty powerful. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, we we've talked about this many times, both on this podcast and on your podcast as well, Rob. If you haven't seen the Clone Wars, you're doing yourself a, as a Star Wars fan. You're doing yourself a disservice by not checking it out. Right. I know it's a little difficult right now; it's not readily available. But once it gets back up on Disney Plus, coming up here in November, highly recommend you check out this series because it gives you so much more depth into Obi Wan and Anakin right. and, a, and Padme, for that matter, as a strong sure. female. Uh, character within the Star Wars universe, there is so much more depth into these prequels and, you, and and some of these other characters, Count Dooku and General Grievous, and many many more characters that you just don't get the experience with in the films. And we, I know Rob, you agree with this. You j- you just can't recommend that series enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's really the holy trinity in Anakin's life of the the three women that had the biggest impact mm-hmm. on him. And in the movies, you only see his mother, uh, Shmi Skywalker, and you see uh, Padme, but uh, Ahsoka, who you meet in the Clone Wars mm-hmm. and who's going to be back in uh, the Clone Wars season seven. Um is is another huge facet to what ultimately led to his fall. So um, definitely go out there and check it out. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So let's move on to, uh, we'll just get a little bit more with this film. The critical reception for it was pretty good considering what it'd been for the last couple films that had come out with the prequels. Rotten Tomatoes gave the film an approval rating of 80% based on 293 reviews. Uh, got a 7.28 out of 10 average rating. Uh, and uh, let's see, audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film on average an A- grade out of a, from an A plus to an F score. Uh, this, this was interesting. I found, and this is a little bit of a reach for me, but interesting enough, AO Scott of the New York times concluded that it was the best of the four episodes. Mr. Lucas has directed and equal to empire strikes back the richest and most challenging movie in the cycle. I don't know about that, but I do believe it was really, really good. Uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago sun times gave the film three and a half out of four stars writing. If Lucas got bogged down in uh, solemnity, Solemnity. Wow. In theory, in episode two, Attack of the Clones, the uh, force is in a jollier mood this time. I don't know if jolly is the way I would put this film, but (laughs) and Revenge of the Sith is a is great entertainment. So, uh, you know, the reviews much more glowing for this film. And I think deservedly so. I don't know. I think you'd agree, Michelle. Absolutely. Yeah. And and for the things that we've just just talked about Mm -hmm. and focusing on, you know, the things that were really impactful in the movie versus, yes, some of the things that we could either criticize or laugh at even but Mm -hmm. yeah so the film went on to uh, reach uh, an estimated 16.91 million from 2900 midnight screenings in North America in its release that's pretty good for a first night especially when this came out Uh, in total it earned a record 
$50 million on its opening day. Uh, with only the May 19th earnings, the film broke four box office records. Midnight screenings gross previously held by Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Opening day gross uh, for Spider-Man 2. Single day gross for Shrek 2. <laughs> and Thursday gross for The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, and worldwide gross eventually reached $849 million making it the second most financial uh, film in 2005, excuse me, financially successful film in 2005, only behind Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So did really well in the box office, and I think we'd all agree why that was, because it was a good film and right. worthy of seeing many times where yeah. some of these, you know, uh, Attack of the Clones, yes, we saw it multiple times just because we're Star Wars fanatics, but this one, there was so much depth and insight to it that I think it was worthy of watching it and seeing it a few times. And like I said, just a moments ago, I've seen it, I don't know how many times, I'm still picking things out of it that I haven't seen before. Right, right. And like Rob said earlier, you know, getting past the beginning clunky parts to the more intense uh, storyline was amazing. Rob, what's your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't understand is that um, at the beginning of this film, uh, when Obi-Wan and Anakin are flying into the, the battle over Coruscant to rescue the Chancellor, they're actually coming from a battle that was known as the Siege of Mandalore, mm -hmm. which, again, I think will factor into uh, Clone Wars. But um yeah, it, it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was the culmination of everything that I was hoping to see. And, uh, you know, it gives you that great backstory for for not just the fall of Anakin Skywalker uh, and the beginning of his reign as um, Darth Vader, but also just how tragic the whole story was. Mm -hmm. I mean, you knew, you knew that it was a tragic story, but to really see it evolve and, and uh, come to its fruition was pretty hard to watch. Right. Completely agree. Like I said, I, I can't say how much the weight of this film was on me watching it again and watching it even the first few times. It's just, it's a very heavy Star Wars film. It's a tough one to take, but it's so good because of that, because of the fact that it gives you those emotions to me that, you know, right. that's why it resonates so much with me as one of the best Star Wars films that have been released. Yeah. And I agree. You do. You do keep wanting him to make a different decision. Right. Right. Every single <laughs> every time. time. Yeah. I'm like, he's not going to kill the younglings this time. It's not going to happen. No, every single time he does it. It's crazy. So let's just, even though this movie, as we just talked about, wasn't maybe as fun as you wanted to be, there's still fun facts behind this movie. I think we've probably had a couple. Michelle, do you have any fun facts that you well, found out about this um, movie? Yeah, a couple fun facts. Well, one is the the kitchen sink. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that they were saying, we're going to throw everything into this, including the kitchen sink. So in that initial battle scene, um, you, there actually is a, a kitchen sink. <laughs> yes. Being Industrial shot. light and yes. magic added a kitchen sink in there, which is, uh, that is, that is funny. I, that's a, such a hilarious story to me. Right, right. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily a fun fact or whatever, but um, that Lucas, who did work with Coppola uh, on The Godfather, admits that in this movie he did um, try to have some homage to The Godfather, uh, specifically in the formation of the Empire sequence. Uh, it, it parallels to The Godfather where uh, during the christening where mm. um, Michael Cor Corleone, I don't know why I always have a problem with that. Uh, he, he's, got it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> he's uh, presiding over the christening, like the next generation of the family, which is intercut with shots of um, his enforcers assassinating the mob leaders. 
So, it, it, you know, it is kind of a nice way that it tied in as an mm-hmm. homage to a, such a classic movie as right. The Godfather. Makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Rob, do you have any uh, facts about the movie? Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, Utapau, which is where mm-hmm. Obi-Wan tracks down Grievous, Utapau mm-hmm. was originally going to be the name for Tatooine mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. the original making of the Star Wars film. So that kind of... Uh, kind of made its made its way back into Star Wars uh, canon that via that means. Uh, there was also a cameo by George Lucas and his two daughters, mm-hmm. um, or two of his daughters, uh, in this particular film. They're right outside Palpatine's suite there at the Mon Cal Opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lucas actually has got this blue skin and kind of a turban-looking thing on Yeah, he's just on the left side, um, left-hand side yep. of the screen if you're looking at it that's, as they're walking in. Yep, and then his uh, son Jet is the uh, young Padawan who, as Jimmy Smiths or you know Bail Organa, mm-hmm. pulls up to the Jedi Temple to find out you know what's going on, and he's being brushed away by the clone troopers. That is, the Padawan that comes out is uh, his his son Jet. So he puts up a good some, fight too. By the he way, he does. Yeah, yeah. He does. So uh, you know, there's there's some fun little cameos in there. Um, but that's that's the main stuff I've got. Right. Uh, George also made a voice cameo. Well. Part of his voice did. He is actually his cough. He had a cold apparently during this <laughs> shooting of this movie, and his cough makes an appearance. As when you hear Grievous cough, that's actually oh, yeah. George Lucas oh, coughing. Funny. Yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, a couple other things. Originally, this film was the original cut of this film was four hours long. Wow. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, the the first uh, scene we were talking about where they're saving Palpatine from the Separatist ship, right. that scene was over an hour long Jeez. until they cut it back. So maybe, I don't know why they <laughs> kept in the, yeah, <laughs> if you're going to cut that much out of it, but they did. And so that's interesting. Also, the, the, uh, the scenes of the lava on Mustafar was actually from a live volcano. It was from Mount Etna in uh, Italy. Oh, that's that, right. Yeah, so interesting stuff that uh, that is actually not just CG, that is actually cut scenes from an actual uh, volcano wow. eruption that right. was going on. So kind of cool stuff. So that's it. Closing thoughts, anybody? Anything else to, you want to say about this film, Michelle? Um, and I don't know if this is a stretch, but I know that when we watched it again, I felt like it, it evoked the same kind of emotion and parallels with um, Harry Potter. And it, and it made me think, it, was this a movie that had an influence over the Harry Potter series? You know, was it something that could have... In the know, fact that, like, they're trying to separate Harry away from his right, friends, like Voldemort was like trying that, to do that right, and stuff yeah, like that. And you yeah. have the big bad, and he's trying to pull him in, you know, the, mm-hmm. the things about where, um, you know, like with Harry's wand and Voldemort's wand, they, they're equals mm-hmm. and they can't destroy each other's, mm. you know, things like that. Interesting stuff. Interesting thoughts. Yeah. You know, just like I said, I didn't know if some of the concepts may have had, uh, whether intentionally or not had an influence over the writings of Harry Potter. Yeah. A very interesting thought. That would be interesting to know if J.K. Rowling is a Star Wars fan, you know, <laughs> yeah. although the, 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 this she film, loves, uh, this film came out uh, after some of those books were written already, but uh, interesting stuff. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Although not the last ones. No, that's true. <laughs> right. That's, true. that's what I'm thinking. And more the, the, the end series with Voldemort coming in the last two. Interesting thoughts for those of you who are Star Wars fans and Harry Potter fans. You may want to look at that and see if there's a correlation between the two. Yeah. I thought, I think it's very interesting, Michelle. Well, thanks. Yeah. Rob, your final thoughts? 
Uh, you know, the two that stick out in my mind are first, uh, as we talked about before, Obi-Wan's inability to finish off Anakin, mm-hmm. um, you know, even after he had cut off his legs and his one remaining arm. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because, uh, it would have almost been more kind to, mm-hmm. to kill him at mm-hmm. that point, uh, as opposed to just letting him suffer. Um, and in a lot of ways that was, you know, his true failure as a Jedi was the fact that he wasn't able to actually kill him because that mm-hmm. led to a very, a very long, dark period, um, with the empire reigning. Uh, but it also was interesting in the sense that it shows just how flawed the Jedi had become because even per, uh, Obi-Wan's own admission, you know, you were my brother. I loved you. Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly there is some serious attachment there. Oh, yeah. Uh, between the two right. of them. And that was a lot of what blinded him. Um, but, you know, it was it was a great way to kind of bring it up to uh, the point where we pick things up or more or less where we pick things up with episode four. Um, I'm looking forward to when we get into Rogue One, because mm-hmm. that certainly mm-hmm. is uh, another another big plus there. But yeah. Yeah, it was it was uh, really well done in terms of how they ended it and how they kind of brought everything to the place where we knew it to be at the beginning of episode four. Yeah, I agree. I, not a perfect movie, but I believe that this this definitely hit many marks that you know you're looking for it to hit. I, 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 I it's one of it, it's it it kills me every time I watch it. And that speech that you were just talking about, where you were my brother, Anakin, crushes me. Every single right. time, uh, Hugh and McGregor does such a masterful job with with playing Obi Wan Kenobi, and it, it just crushes me. But um, I, I just think it felt hit the right tone that needed to be hit for this film, and um, I just think it's it's one of the better films out of the Star Wars, the the whole oeuvre of Star Wars films. Right. I mean, yeah. even in that scene um, where Obi Wan was even, you know, you could tell. I'm not thinking he was necessarily angry at Anakin, but saying you were supposed to be the chosen one. You know, like, you know, a loss of confidence in his own faith, kind of like whether you're talking about somebody with a religious background feeling like some something failed and and they no longer had a trust in their faith of what was supposed to happen. Yeah. And in regards to the, the prophecy that Anakin was supposedly the chosen one for, I mean, if you look at it at the end of this film, he truly had brought balance to the force. Right, I mean, right. You had you had two Sith and you had two remaining Jedi um, that were at least, you know, known at this point. I think we kind of know that there were more Jedi that, that escaped mm-hmm, the purge right. than that. But, um, you know, it certainly had brought the force more in balance in terms of it had been uh, definitely slanted toward the light for quite some time. Well, even uh, Yoda within the film talks about, you know, they talk about well is not this the the prophecy that was foretold and he's like well you know a prophecy that it could have been read wrong you know and obviously it was yeah uh so that's definitely a good point there um i i just you know i just think this film is a great film and and I, I'm so happy that uh, George came around after a couple stumbles in the prequels and yes, even some stumbles within this film and, and created something that I think we all can agree is, is, is really, really good. really, really good movie. Yep. Yeah. I think, and I mean, again, a lot of it was just technology. I think mm-hmm. had you, had you made those same films today that they would be uh, notably better. Right. I don't disagree with you there. There we go. So that's our look back. Star Wars remembered episode three, 
the Revenge of the Sith. Next time, we're going to do this next month, some point in June, Mm -hmm. we're moving on to actually the most recent movie, (laughs) which is funny. Uh, We're moving to the most recent Star Wars film, and that is going to be Solo, a Star Wars story. Looking forward to that one. um, Sorry if you haven't seen it. There will be spoilers, just (laughs) warning, but it's going to, by the time we talk about it, it's going to be out for over a year. So you have still time to go check it out if you want to go before we do that episode. And we would recommend you do that. And we would recommend you do that. It is a good movie. So Rob, thanks for joining joining us again. You, of course, you host the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Please tell how everybody can find your show. Yeah, you can find us. Uh, it's Jedi, Jedi Temple Archives podcast. We're on basically all the major podcast platforms, iTunes, uh, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts. So if you like to listen to podcasts on uh, a platform and you can't find us, just drop us a line again at jtapodcast at gmail.com and I will go ahead and get that uh, particular pl- uh, platform added for you. If you got any ideas for uh, topics you'd like to see on future shows or whatever, you can reach out to us at jtapodcast at gmail.com or uh, on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Pinterest and Instagram uh, at JTA Podcast. So thanks so much for uh, having me on and I'm looking forward to uh, our next episode where we're going to do solo. Yeah, it should yeah. be fun. Well, as always, we really appreciate uh, the input and feedback that you bring to our show. You make it a better quality show <laughs> and we appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Rob, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us again. You bet. Take care. So thanks again to Rob LaBerry of the Jedi Temple Archives Mm -hmm. podcast. So good talking with him once a month as we do the Star Wars Remembered series. Yeah, he's a great addition to our show. And again, follow his podcast because it's awesome. Yeah, the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Great show. Very approachable show that if you love Star Wars, if you know a lot about Star Wars, it's good for that. And if you just kind of watch the movies and only know a little bit, he, he approaches it in a very smooth way that allows you in and doesn't like seem to talk down to you is not me knowing so much about Star Wars. That's right. Like I always say, I always feel like I come back after listening to his podcast feeling, hey, wow, I learned something and I didn't feel like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> didn't feel like a jerk. Maybe Thanks, we Rob. Edit that out. <laughs> yeah, don't make me feel like a jerk. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe let's see. The Jedi Temple Archives <laughs> podcast, the podcast that doesn't make you feel like a jerk. That's the, that was a poor choice of words. Let's see. That doesn't make me feel intimidated. <laughs> I actually like it better that way. Right, Rob, oh, Rob man. you should change your tagline. I'm so sorry. That's not what we, I meant. We have a new oh, title for the show. I'm so embarrassed now. No, that I'm was so awesome. I love, look, you should see how red she is. It's awesome. <laughs> totally. I love it. Actually, oh, I think that's perfect. Gosh. That is so good. That's so good. Anyway, yeah, definitely check it out. The show that doesn't make you feel like a jerk. <laughs> Oh, you're going to make me cough this cold. Oh, my God. Oh, that was great. That was great. Oh, Love you, honey. You're the best. You're the best. Thanks, thanks. Let's move I'll on. I'll pay from, you to edit that out. Let's move on from that to our stories of the week, our Disney stories of the week. Of course, every week there are so many Disney stories. We like to get you at least a few of them to kind of, you know, discuss what goes on. And there's so many stories. But there were some really big ones this week. And I think the biggest one this week was the announcing of the new Disney Legends. It was an exciting no, list, was right? Exciting. Very happy to see. Very appropriate list and just glad to see that they're giving all of these fine people some great recognition. Right. So they came out this week. Of course, they're 
Uh, every two years now, they do a new list of Disney legends. They all come in or announced or, excuse me, inducted essentially at the D23 Expo, which is coming up in August uh, at uh, Anaheim at the Anaheim Convention Center. Yeah, there's still tickets available if you want to go. You should check it out. But here's the list. There are 11 names this year. A lot you know, some you may not know, but we're going to go down through the whole list here. So bear with us. I'm going to start with some of the lesser known names and kind of move on to some of the bigger, Building more known up. names. Yes, yes. So let's start out uh, with, the, we'll start with the first of the 11, Wing Chow, who uh, for 37 years at Disney, he played a vital role in designing the, by the way, this is straight from the D23, D23.com, so uh, just so you know, uh, designing and developing exceptional and inspirational projects worth more than $12 billion at Disney parks and resorts worldwide. Wing served as the vice chairman of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts for Asia Pacific Development, as well as executive vice president of Walt Disney Imagineering, where he oversaw master planning, architecture, and design. So big name right. in the Asian parks, yes. which unfortunately we haven't been able to visit yet, but Not we're yet. looking forward to because they have some amazing amazing stuff out there that I really, Absolutely. really want to check out. So, And he was obviously one of the big names behind it. Right. So that's so awesome. Great contribution yeah. to the to the Disney organization. And so it makes sense. Right. Totally makes sense. I agree. I agree completely with you. Uh, let's move on to the next name. Kenny Ortega was the next name uh, inducted as a Disney legend. He is a multi-award winning director, choreographer, and producer. His first work with Disney was choreographer. Uh, choreographing, I can say it, the TV special uh, Disney's Totally Mini in 1988. He followed, uh, that was followed by Mickey's 60th birthday the same year. Kenny directed the first, his first feature film, the beloved Disney musical Newsies. You may wow, know that that's one. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which was followed in 1993 by the Halloween favorite, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, baby. Yeah, there you go. Hocus Pocus, another big time movie that a lot of people know and it's kind of become a cult classic within, uh, within Disney fandom. Uh, in 2006, he helmed the Disney Channel smash hit High School Musical. And more recently, he's been uh, working on the Descendants uh, group of films for Disney Channel. Yes, yeah, so. such an eclectic group of things that yeah. he's worked on, you know. So that's that's pretty impressive. Right. So he's doing a lot more stuff, mostly with the Disney Channel now, but he's done some feature films stuff and uh, uh, choreographing a lot of this great stuff. All the high school musical stuff, he's mm-hmm. been a part of that. So good stuff. Uh, next name is Barnett Ricci, who started this. She's really interesting. I, I have not heard of her before, but I was yeah. reading through the stuff that she's done. Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff. Uh, she started her career with the Walt Disney Company as a choreographer at Disneyland. In the late 60s, Barnett created and directed Kids of the Kingdom before going on to choreograph and direct many parades, including Christmas parades. America on Parade, and the Main Street Electrical Parade. Wow. That's really great. You know, I mean, the people who really set up and and make the parades great really do deserve recognition because it's it's a daily thing that many, many people enjoy, and they they do a lot of hard work and it's not an easy thing for them to do. And that's so cool that they're recognizing her. Right. You wouldn't necessarily, sometimes you don't really notice the choreography in some of these right. parades, but it really plays a big part in, in seeing them. I and mean, yes. even especially like the mainstream electrical parade, right. you think of all the lights and the sounds and everything. And you don't floats. really think of the, all the, the choreography, but right. there is a lot of it that goes on there. Uh, she's also 
uh, worked on the grand openings of Walt Disney World, Epcot Center, and Tokyo Disneyland, and directed popular stage shows such as the Golden Horseshoe Review at Disneyland, the Diamond Horseshoe Review at Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, And perhaps her biggest claim to fame is uh, the creation of Fantasmic. She choreographed for Fantasmic, of course, which debuted at Disneyland in 1992. So if you know Fantasmic... She was the one who created the dance right. steps and all the movement and stuff. Pretty on impressive. That so, yeah, big name and uh, very lots of talent there. Yeah, so that's why I was talking about when I, I I didn't I know much about her, but I was reading about her. I was yeah. like, wow, very impressive. All these people are impressive, but um, she especially so. Moving on, we start moving to more names that you may know or may have heard of. Robin Roberts, of course, who you may know from ABC and ESPN. She's worked there for a right. long time. In 1990, Robin joined ESPN and would quickly become a frequent contributor to the network's programming. In her 15 years at ESPN, she contributed to the NFL primetime and uh, hosted SportsCenter and in the game with Robin Roberts. Robin began making appearances on Good Morning America in uh, 1995 and in 2005 left ESPN to join the show, became a full-time as a co-anchor. Since joining GMA, the show has won four Emmys for Outstanding Morning Program. Uh, she's become nice. a, basically the face of Good Morning America, right. gradually starting as just kind of a, a part-time character, or part-time, excuse me, not a character, but a part-time contributor right. and uh, moved up and now she is the face of Good Morning America, one of the most popular morning shows in television. And, uh, you know, more recently, she uh, conquered, uh, she had a battle with cancer that wow. she got through and conquered. But uh, uh, really great to see her come through and, and be named a Disney legend. True. And she's she just seems like a lovely person. Mm-hmm. Love her demeanor. She really brings a lot to that show. And I'm so proud that for her that she's getting this recognition. Yeah, really great. Uh, a perfect name. I, I love that she's a part of this. And also, you know, being a sports fan, mm-hmm. I've seen her for so many years back in ESPN and she was great on ESPN and Sports Center and all these other shows and then moving on to real well I mean morning news you want to call it news it's not news it's sort of fun news entertaining right. news entertaining whatever news. but um, you know to move on to this program and be, be so successful there uh, it's great to see speaking of news another news person also is another Disney legend this year and that is Diane Sawyer what a big name right. Diane Sawyer uh, she's an ABC news anchor uh, she tackled some of the biggest issues of our time with original reporting primetime specials long form interviews and in-depth investigations one of the most respected journalists in the world her prime Primetime documentaries have won critical acclaim for shedding light on difficult and previously underreported topics, including her reporting on the realities of poverty in America. Diane's reporting has been recognized with numerous awards, including DuPont's Emmys, Peabody's, the Grand Grand Prize of uh, the Premier Investigative Reporters and Editors Association, an IRTS Lifetime Achievement Award, and the USC Distinguished Achievement of Journalism Award. In 1997, she was inducted into the Television Academy Hall of Fame, but now she's finally made it (laughs) as a Disney Disney legend. legend. It took this long. All that, whatever. Now she's a Disney legend. (laughs) Exactly. That's the cherry on top, right? Right. So 
kudos to her. That's great. Yeah. So uh, big name and gosh, what a career that she's had. Yes. And it's amazing. And, uh, she was strong in journalism as a female journalist when right. that may not have been the most popular position. Right. So. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's t- talk about a glass ceiling that right. she kind of needed to break through. She did it uh, really well and has just done amazing things and uh, now is a Disney legend just to tack on to all that other stuff she's done. That's uh, fantastic. Right. That's awesome. Moving on, uh, we'll talk to the world of music now and uh, basically soundtracks. And that moves on to Hans Zimmer, who yeah. made the list. Yeah, I know you were excited when very, you saw that happy. one. Yeah. Hans Zimmer has scored more than 160 projects, which combined Jeez. have grossed more than $28 billion worldwide. Hans has been not honored with an Academy Award, two Golden Globes, three Grammys, an American Music Award, wow. and a Tony Award. In addition to his long list of credits, including notable projects such as Gladiator and the Dark Knight trilogy, Hans has been uh, has had a great history with the Walt Disney Company. His early work from them includes additional music for White Fang in 1991 and co-writing music for Cool Runnings in 1993. Yeah. <laughs> his groundbreaking Academy Award-winning instrumental score for The Lion King was followed by many memorable projects, including Crimson Tide in 1995, Muppet Treasure Island 1996, The Rock 1996 as well, Pearl Harbor in 2001, King Arthur 2004, and Iron Man in 2008. (laughs) Hans is the guiding force behind the music of Pirates of the Caribbean, of course, which is kind of where we got to know him. Uh, He also uh, had some producing capacities with The Curse of the Black Pearl, Dead Man's Chest, At World's End, On Stranger Tides. And of course, Hans is currently composing the music for this summer's reimagining of The Lion King. Nice. Yeah. I know. I'm so happy. What a resume this guy has in in the world uh, of music, of of musical scores. It's just amazing. It is. I mean, if even just looking at the Pirates of the Caribbean song, I mean, who cannot listen to that song and just feel like charged up? And I mean, but like you're saying, all the, the other works, very eclectic and we just have loved him for years. So I'm oh, yeah. so happy he's yeah. being honored. Yeah. I, I'm actually a little surprised he wasn't to this right? point, you know, but <laughs> it's so great to hear. And I'm a uh, very, very worthy uh, part of the Disney legends definitely deserves. Uh, speaking of deserves, we have another Disney princess getting into yeah, there. Yes. So Ming, exciting. Yes. Ming-Na Wen, who you may know as Mulan, right? uh, is a uh, Disney legend this year. Uh, she, You can currently find her saving the day as Agent Melinda May, a.k.a. the Cavalry on <laughs> ABC series Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is actually one of our right. favorite shows. Mm-hmm. We watched it from the beginning and continue to watch it to this day. We were just watching the last episode yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, she's also known for her seven years of playing uh, Jing Mei Chen on ER. She found success on the big screen, of course, when she appeared in the acclaimed Hollywood Pictures adaptation of Amy Tan's The Joy Luck Club. Five years later, she would find animation immortality, as we just discussed, <laughs> was the title star of Disney's classic Mulan, a role for which she would receive an Annie Award, which is an, an award given as the, for the best animated features nice. of the year. Yeah. Uh, Ming-Na returned to the role of, of heroic uh, Fa Mulan in a slew of projects, including an animated sequel and video games, some of our favorite video mm-hmm. games, Kingdom Hearts 2, yes. and Disney Infinity on television's House of Mouth, uh, House 
House of Mouse on uh, Sophia the First, and in the Walt Disney Animation Studios film, Ralph Breaks the Internet from right. last year. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, so happy for her. She's awesome. We love watching her, like you said, now in Agents of Shields. And it's so funny because it's kind of hard now when we watch Mulan to not hear. <laughs> yeah. Every time you hear her voice, you're, know, you're like, hearing oh Mulan gosh, when right? she speaks. Yes. Exactly. Um, but, you know, every time every interview I see with her, she just seems really like a wonderful person, really nice people. Yes. Everything has great things to say about her and so excited that she's making yeah, it. Happy yeah. Happy about that. That's great. Um, Moving on, uh, Bette Midler is the next one we're going to talk about. Yeah, Bette Midler, of all people, making it in. Uh, when the Disney studio set out to expand the breadth of his film production with Touchstone Pictures, we talked about mm -hmm. how Touchstone films are a part of the Disney uh, film right. history so many times. Um, it was Bette Midler they went to. It was Emmy winner, Grammy winner, Golden Globe, Tony winner. Mm -hmm. uh, so they decided to help bring her in to kind of expand the success in the new division. She appeared in a string of hit comedies, including Down and Out in Beverly Hills in 1986, Ruthless People also in 1986, Outrageous Fortune in 1987, and Big Business in 1988. Touchstone's 1988 drama Beaches yeah. not only proved to be a smash <laughs> with audiences, but it also included Bette's platinum-selling rendition of Wind Beneath My Wings. Other Disney Great films. Song. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Tear-jerking song, right. for sure. Um, other Disney films follow, including Stella in 1990, Scenes from a Mall in 1991, as well as a mem uh, memorable vocal performance as spoiled poodle Georgette in <laughs> Oliver and Company in 1988. Uh, Bet is well-known to Disney audience for her role as the witchy Winifred in the perennial Halloween classic Hocus Pocus, which right. we just talked about exactly. as well, which came out in 1993. So yeah, Bette Midler, yeah. a Disney legend now. That's so cool. I know. You know. I think if you had asked me, I probably would have thought that was already another right. one that we would have thought was already on the list of legends. So it's, it's uh, you know... Long overdue, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I would have thought Bette Midler was already in, but it's great to see that she's in now. Speaking yeah. another person that I'm surprised wasn't already mm -hmm. in that's getting in this year, and that's James Earl Jones. Yeah, yeah how was he not already <laughs> I know, a Disney right? legend, right? <laughs> he started his acting career with a television and film roles, including appearances in As the World Turns way back in 1966 wow. and Dr. Strangelove, 1964. <laughs> wow. But the Oscar, Emmy, and Tony Award-winning actor is well-known known for his iconic voice acting, beginning with the role of Darth Vader in Star Wars A New Hope, of course, 1977. This villainous vocal performance was reprised in subsequent Star Wars films, including most recently in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story in 2016, and TV shows like Star Wars Rebels from 2014 to 2018. His voice can also be heard in Disney parks around the globe, including recurring vocal performances at Darth Vader for Star Tours. The adventure continues. Uh, other Disney credits include ABC's Recess in 1998. <laughs> wow. As the voice of Santa Claus. Oh, how Darth funny. Vader is Santa Claus? Yeah, right? Um, he was a narrator for the Disney nature film Earth in See, 2009. there's good in him. There is good. Yeah, that's <laughs> they always said there is good in him. Luke knew it all along. There was good in him. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, he was a segment host for Fantasia 2000 and 2000, obviously. Right. Uh, he was a celebrity narrator for the candlelight pers uh, processional ceremony at uh, Disneyland uh, yeah. a few times. That yeah. would have been great to see. Yeah. Could you imagine that oh. voice doing the candlelight processional? Wow. Man. Yeah. 
Uh, audiences also recognized the actor, of course, because of Mufasa in The Lion King in 1994. Mm-hmm, right. I mean, he still is playing Mufasa to this day into the upcoming Lion King. He's right. coming back and playing so awesome. Mufasa again. Uh, he was also in The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, The Lion Guard, uh, Return of the Roar 2015. So yeah, uh, James Earl Jones, uh, what an amazing career he's had. And Absolutely. Again, I would have sworn he would have all yeah, right? Mufasa alone. <laughs> I know. He would have already been a Disney legend, but so good that he's finally making it in. Yeah. And I love how, um, you know, we've seen him even on some television show like Big Bang and everything, kind of making light of himself, kind of laughing at himself and, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful person and so happy that he's being honored and that we'll be there to see it. (laughs) Yeah. He's also great. And and this wasn't named in here. I'm sure it's not nothing to do with Disney or whatever, but Field of Dreams. Uh, He plays a great role in Field of Dreams too, if you have ever seen that film. Um, Just so good. James Earl Jones is just just awesome. And, you know, to this day, he still still has that commanding voice. He doesn't quite have the same voice he had, you know, obviously 10, 15, who does? I don't have the same voice I had 10 or 15 minutes ago. (laughs) Uh, But it it still is impressive when he comes out there and just commands the room just with his voice. It's just such a signature voice for sure. Uh, moving on, John Favreau is Yay. making it. Yes, he's a Disney legend becoming uh, starting this year. He started his career with appearances in film and television and has since become one of Hollywood's most successful producers and directors. John's first roles included appearances on TV shows such as Seinfeld and Friends. <laughs> but his big break became in the uh, Miramax indie film Swingers in 1996, for which he wrote the screenplay, starred, and co-produced. But we really know him. Come on. He is directing credits for Iron Man in 2008, Iron Man 2 in 2010, the live action remake of The Jungle Book in 2016. And of course, he is currently working on this year's reimagining of The Lion King. I think there's a tie in here. Can you think The Lion King might be coming out this summer? The fact that there's several people in in working on this film that that are going to be going in. Yeah. Uh, John also made appearances in several Marvel Cinematic Universe films as Tony Stark's loyal bodyguard, Happy Hogan, who I love Happy Hogan. He's so great. He's just a side character. He's so great. Uh, And he was the producer of Marvel Studios. John holds credits on such films as, of course, we just talked about Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Marvel's The Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers Infinity War. He also voiced characters for Disney's television shows and feature films, including Hercules in 1999, TV's Hercules, uh, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command in 2000, G-Force 2009, Star Wars The Clone Wars. He voiced he mm-hmm. did some voices in that as well. Nice. Uh Solo a Star Wars story. Right, right. Yes, that's the next by the way, that's the next film we're hitting on our Star Yay. Wars Remembered uh series coming up here uh, next month. Uh John is writing and executive producing, of course, the live action Star Wars series The Mandalorian for Disney Plus, which will premiere this November and looks fantastic. So oh, excited yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a talented person. I mean, that he can do it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how much he fits in a day is just impressive. Right. You know, what he can do, go from one studio to the next and all these different uh, 
uh, projects that he's working on. So impressive. Right. And he's brought so much great work to the screen. So, so. much good. I mean, just listen to that list. And there's so yes. many things we didn't even mention here that he's done that are so great. But right. I mean, yeah, we, we, we were watching some of the footage from Star Wars Celebration just a little while, you know, about a month ago or so. And he was talking about doing The Mandalorian and how he would be going back and forth in the studio from doing the Lion right? King, live action Lion King <laughs> and back to The Mandalorian. I mean, how do you put in those two things together at the I same know, time? The same it's day. amazing. That's, yeah. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> stuff so good for him and then we let, let's finish it off with probably the biggest name I mean the, any of these names are big I right. mean, you have Bette Midler's huge obviously James Earl Jones right. huge uh, but probably the biggest name and maybe the one closest to our heart especially with what most recently happened and continues to happen in the box office is Robert Downey Jr. Yes. is going to be a Disney legend yeah. that's, that's uh, so cool awesome. Uh, he's a two-time Academy Award nominee and Golden Globe winner who has appeared in more than 80 films. I didn't realize 80 films. Wow, I, I knew he'd been in a lot, but right. 80. Wow. wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow. wow. Uh, considered one of the industry's most talented and respected actors, Robert has embraced both dramatic and comedic roles, including his Disney debut <laughs> in the 2006 remake of The Shaggy Dog. <laughs> After numerous standout performances, Robert then went on to help launch Marvel Studios with his celebrated performance of Tony Stark, which, as Iron Man, let's face it, um, we don't get to Avengers Endgame if... Iron Man is right. a success. If if he doesn't pull off, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't pull off Tony Stark believably and that movie isn't good, I don't know if we get through 22 movies Correct. and get to what is possibly about to be the biggest box office hit of all time exactly yeah yeah that that's you're absolutely correct on that yeah uh, incredible uh his role spearheaded the iconic blockbuster franchises iron man and the avengers for which he starred in three iron man films the incredible hulk in 2008 captain america civil war 2016 and spider-man homecoming 2017 and all four avengers film including the most recent avengers endgame which shattered box office records and became the largest ever film debut bringing in 1.2 billion dollars wow. worldwide in its mm-hmm. opening weekend robert will next start in the title role of 2020's The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle. Who knew? <laughs> I, wow. This is the first I've heard of this film, but it's really interesting. And it's in pre-production uh, on the third installment of the successful Sherlock Holmes franchise as well. So, nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what a great name to be listed as all of them are great names right, but right. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. to be a Disney legend that's definitely that's awesome. you know and as a man how he's he's had to fight through some demons and mm. really brought success back to his life you know kudos again for him as well yeah uh, so that's so great uh, that's exciting stuff and of course um, we're, we're talking about all this this is all going to be if you want to see this there is a panel it's usually the first panel of every D23 Expo right. where they do the induction of all the nominees mm-hmm. uh, it's actually a, a fairly easy panel to get into surprisingly enough I guess because it's the first day it's a Friday uh, maybe not everybody's arrived right. yet uh, maybe they're waiting for the next panel which is usually I think it's the Disney uh, animation panel oh, sh- sure is the next be. one I believe yeah yeah the animation panel so a lot of people are waiting to get into that one but if you want to hit one of the big panels if you want to see some of these big celebrities um, and you're going to the D23 Expo and you have Friday tickets right. Um, I recommend you checking this out. If not, if you're not going to be able to get out there, we will be there and we'll be reporting on it all. So we'll let you know what all happens. When right. we, get to the, we have lots of stuff to talk about with the D23 Expo as we progress on for right. sure. There'll probably be some tears shed on that oh, one. No of tears of joy. Tears of joy and just uh, what a great uh, mm-hmm. I'm, 
uh, each and every one of these names is, uh, you know, well deserved of, of being a Disney legend. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see there. If you ever get to go to the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, uh, they had the Legends Plaza there. Yes. And you can just walk through there and they have these plaques up with all the various different Disney legends names there. And those that were inducted while they were still living, right. um, they have handprints on that plaque. And it's just kind of cool to walk through that Disney Legends uh, area and uh, check this all out and see who's there, see all the names. And it's just, it, it's right in front of the Disney, uh, the, the Disney business buildings. If you, if you've seen pictures from the, the, uh, the studios, it's the one where the seven dwarves are kind right, of holding, holding up the it, roof. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a really cool place to be. It is a, it's a beautiful courtyard. It's, you know, it's got a lot of, I don't know, just, you just feel the history there and, we love going over there and mm-hmm. seeing that. And when you're you're in there, you just feel like, yeah, we need to p- play our homage to all these wonderful people. Right. And it's one of those benefits if you are a D23 Gold or Gold family member is that there are often events, if you can make it to the West Coast or if you're on the West Coast, where you get to go, uh, whether it be the studio tour mm-hmm. or whether it be some of the film screenings on the, on the uh, on the lot there, or they have the uh, Christmas time, the light up right. the season event. They have lots of events out there at the studios, and it really is a nice chance to go out there and not only just enjoy Disney with a bunch mm-hmm. of other Disney fans, but also check out what is really a amazing place the the Walt Disney Studios that you've seen in many films and it's Fabulous. just so much history there uh that in a, alone is almost worth the price of being a, a D23 gold or gold family member I would have to agree with you on that one and if you do go out there again that's a courtyard that I think a lot of people just kind of walk through or walk past and not notice all those wonderful uh plaques and recognitions uh-huh. to everybody so if you do get that opportunity take that that time to look around and just appreciate what's there and all the people that came before and made this company awesome. Right. Also have it's the other place where they have one of the uh, Disney partner statues. You know, you know they have them right. at the hub at uh, Magic Kingdom and at the hub at Disneyland Park. But they also had the partner statue right there in the Disney Legends uh, area, yes. uh, right in the center. Uh, it's a great place if you happen to be there to get a picture taken with it. There's a lot less crowd than right. you get at the park. <laughs> it's just a really, it's just awesome. It's it's amazing whenever you walk. We, we've been there. We've been lucky, blessed to be on that lot several times now. And still, every time we walk on, it's just like, well, I can't believe we're on the lot. I know. It feels like such an honor. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but these people all great honors to be Disney legends. So awesome stuff. So happy for them. Let's move on to parks news. Yay. Parks news. Uh, We'll start here on the West coast with the Disneyland resort and the lamplight lounge at Disney California adventure parks, which will soon have a new way to enjoy its great food and drinks. Yes. Yes. This is very exciting. This is from www.info.com beginning on May 25th. So coming up this week, the lamplight lounge on Pixar pier at, uh, Disney California Adventure Park will be adding a weekend brunch. Yay! Yay! So brunch is scheduled to be served from 8.15 a.m. to noon on Saturday and Sunday. Lunch will begin at 12.30 p.m. with dinner starting at 4 p.m. I heard about this. We booked the brunch (laughs) immediately. You're so wonderful and smart. (laughs) So not only are on, let's see, on June 1st, 
We're doing, of course, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Right. We are doing a dessert package for the World of Color. <laughs> and now we're also doing brunch at the Lamplight yes. Lounge. So that is going to be one heck of a day. Trio. We'll be telling you all about it on our anniversary episode on June 2nd. So, uh, While the brunch menu isn't currently available on the official Disneyland website, we, uh, excuse me, this was www.info.com, was able to get a glimpse of the menu earlier this week. And it may, they say it may be adjusted before brunch begins, but here's what they saw uh, that will be on it. There'll be a, a brunch burger, which is $22. That uh, is a grilled custom burger blend with American cheese, one egg, sunny side up, roasted green chili, lettuce, paprika aioli, and Yummy. a toasted Amish bun served with fresh fruit. That sounds great. It does. Yeah. Uh, that's $22. A crab and potato cake Benedict, which I think we'll be hopping yes. all over, uh, which is $22 with sauteed spinach, soft poached eggs, chipotle hollandaise, and fresh fruit. That sounds delicious. It does. Yeah. I'm not going to give the ingredients for every one of these, but I'll go through these. And there's an egg white frittata bake. Uh, there's an indulgent French toast, mm. which is, uh, I will go through this one, cinnamon brown sugar uh, challah bread with Irish cream, whipped cream. Wow. Yeah. Maple syrup, macerated berries, and han- handmade almond brittle. Wow. We may have to order like three or four things. Well, like yeah, that. definitely two so yeah. we can try things. Right. But. Yeah. Uh, Lamplight Chilaquiles will be uh, on the start. That's $19. Uh, New York Avocado Toast for 28 bucks. How can avocado <laughs> toast cost $28, you ask? <laughs> I know that's what was in your mind. Here is the New York Avocado Toast. It's sourdough, avocado mash, New York steak. That's what I was figuring. Yeah. Man. One egg sunny side up, piquillo butter sauce, arugula salad, pickled red onions, and confit potatoes. That wow. sounds amazing, actually. Wow, it does. Yeah. Uh, and finally, potato flautas also on the menu for $17, which is the vegetarian dish. It has plant-based chorizo, vegan piquillo crema, uh, serrano tomatillo salsa, arugula salad, and escabeche. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So a lot of great mm. stuff on there. And also kids, they have a kid's menu as well. They have a brunch quesadilla, which is egg whites, uh, cheddar and uh, Jack on a whole wheat tortilla. So a very, pretty healthy, healthy quesadilla, actually. Uh, indulgent French toast, uh, mini brunch burger, and an omelet as well. So uh, all those are $10 or less for the kids. Cool. So yeah, cool stuff. And we have our reservation. Uh, so we'll be checking it out here in just a couple of weeks. And along with everything else we're reporting on from that weekend, again, that, that episode gets longer and longer <laughs> and longer. Oh now. my God. Uh, we will be uh, talking about that. If you want to go, if you're going to be on the West Coast, if you're going to Disneyland, reservations for brunch are now available. We suggest you make them. Uh, you can make them as early as 60 days out from your right. trip that you're coming. So jump on that. Uh, there, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Lamplight Lounge and reservations and some other things about it. But I think for brunch, you probably want to be sure and get a reservation for that. Yeah, definitely. Good advice. Yes, yes. Finally, let's wrap up our Disney news stories of the week. And that is also at Disneyland Park with a classic parks icon is about to get its re-debut. This from the OC Register, <laughs> Sleeping Beauty Castle. Yes. Yes. 
It's had gotten a little bit of TLC and sprinkling of pixie dust <laughs> as the 64-year-old Disneyland icon prepares for her turn in the spotlight ahead of the grand opening of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. This is so exciting. It I don't is know if exciting. you've seen the pictures. Yeah, I have started seeing some of the pictures. It looks great. It looks spectacular. It looks so beautiful. Uh, Sleeping Beauty Castle is expected to reopen on May 24th after an extensive renovation that walled off the Anaheim theme park centerpiece landmark for four months. The decorative scrims surrounding the castle are expected to come down actually yesterday on May 18th, but the, the official re-debut will be on May 24th. So, oh, yeah. so wonderful. Right in time for Memorial Day weekend, yes. and of course, Star Wars Galaxy's right. Edge as well. So uh, the castle renovation adds a bold new paint job, fresh gold leaf on the uh, finial ornaments, a new roof, and a sprinkling of star-shaped pixie dust on the shingles above the drawbridge interest. It looks oh, spectacular. It does. it does. It really looks beautiful from all the pictures I've seen online. I'm going to post one along with our uh, our, our show notes on our website. Uh, so when you get this, if you want to take a look at what it looks like, if you haven't found it already all over social media, I'll have a, I'll find a picture there from social media and post it as well. It That's looks spectacular. great. Yeah, it does. It does. And the colors are beautiful. They, they really did a great job. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it's so Not pretty. Not that we didn't expect otherwise. But right. Yeah. But it looks even better than I expected. I kind of just thought they were just going to, you know, polish it up a little bit, right. fix a few things that have been damaged on it. But um, they just gave it a brand new life almost. Yeah. You know? And this is the first ever Disney castle. And I know if you go to Cinderella Castle and everything, and then you come to Sleeping Beauty Castle, it's going to look small to you. Mm-hmm. It's it, you, you may, But this is the first ever Disney castle. And so it, it holds a dear place it should hold a dear place yeah. in all disney fans hearts yep it's the og um, it is the og <laughs> castle and uh, i'm so great to, to have it all spruced up and ready to go for what is going to be a an enormous season coming up here at uh, disneyland park yeah it's again it, it it's turning out beautiful and it's exciting and gosh that's going to be quite quite a phenomenal opening yeah for the park. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward when we get out there to seeing that, just walking down that right. Main Street USA and right to that castle because it has been, uh, you know, for four months, like they said in the article, it's been, they just had this facade over it and they, mm-hmm. you know, did a nice, nice artwork of the castle, but it's just not, it's the, not same. the same. It's yeah. not the same as actually being there and standing in front of the castle, getting your picture in front of the castle. It's just not the same. So it's great that now, Coming up this week, people are going to not only be able to get their pictures in front of the castle, but a brand spanking, beautiful, newly renovated castle. Cool, it's cool. Great. Yeah. So, so happy about that. So that's my Disney stories of the week. I believe you have a Disney story of the week. I just have a little brief uh, Disney news story, honey. Uh, so this has to do with Disney Cruise Line. Oh, one of our favorites. That's right. Always love thinking about Disney cruises. Mm-hmm. Let me just pause. Yes. We're uh, less than a year away. Yes. Uh, anyways, so um, some of you may already be familiar with the Disney Cruise Line Navigator app that's been out for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's really been helpful, especially once you're on, on the cruise. It really helps give you all the information. You can, you know, kind of plug in what your favorite, you know, tag your favorite things and it can send you reminders. It does a ton of things. And I won't go into a lot of details because that's still remaining the same. But what's really great now is their upgrade to giving you access to things before the cruise. Mm -hmm. Like before, 
you used to the only thing that before the cruise that you could do was a countdown calendar, which we've done. Of course, love absolutely. That. <laughs> I already got my ours going for next year's cruise. Really? Yeah. All right. Are you kidding me? Definitely. <laughs> All right, I'll have to catch up with you on that one. But um, but now they're they're adding a lot more features that were really exclusive to their website. So uh, what the app can now do for you before going on the actual cruise is you can make payments on it. You can see your price summary. You can even uh, view and modify your stateroom. So if you see the category that you have and something else may have come up, you can make that change to your stateroom on that app. Uh, Obviously, viewing deck plans. You can start uh, exploring and booking activities such as uh, port adventures, uh, adult dining, Mm. the nursery, and spa and fitness treatment and therapy. So um, a lot, like I said, a lot of things that you may have been able to do historically with the website are now available, uh, will be available on the app as well. So that's fun to be able to have that app. And again, it was great having the countdown clock, but now to be able to do a lot of things remotely on your mobile device is so cool. Right. And it totally makes sense because it was one of those apps where if you had it and you didn't have a cruise planned in the near future, there was really no reason to have it taking up space sure. on your phone, right. on your tablet or whatever. So you would delete it and then just reload it as you actually booked something and then to put the countdown clock there. But you know, now it's as a reason to be there and stay on your phone or your app or right. your tablet or whatever. And also, you know, I mean, we, we see more of a proliferation now of more people doing things on their phone or their tablet. They're not going as much onto a computer to get things done. Why not make it easier for people to just have the app there and right. just to go through the yeah. app and, and, and book all these things? We're starting to see it now a lot more with the Disney Parks app as well. So it just only makes sense for the Disney Cruise app to have more abilities as well. Right, right. So, so exciting. So happy that they've done that. Yeah. So that's great. Nice convenience. Great story. Michelle always has great oh, stories. Speaking <laughs> of greatness of Michelle, <laughs> it's time to get on to our vacation uh. tips, our tips of the week. Every week we try and wrap up the show with some sort of tip that might help you on your next trip, your next vacation, whether you're going to the parks, whether you're going to Disney Cruise Lines, we just talked about, run Disney, the movies, anything that revolves around Disney, we try and give you some sort of tip to close out our show every week. And of course, we always lead off with Michelle because she's wonderful, beautiful, (laughs) and everything great. You're so wonderful. But also because she always has... The best. By the way, I meant to mention this. I don't know if you saw this from uh, one of our friends, uh, part of our World podcast, that they retweeted our last show, and they mentioned how you know great your picks were for last week. <laughs> but they also on their show mentioned. Your tip on laundry. I know. From, you know. <laughs> That's uh, so great. Yeah. So, and like I said on that, I, I wrote back to them. I'm like, well, you know, Michelle always has the best tips. <laughs> so you should be sharing her tips on your show. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Keenan and Rachel. And yes. uh, part of our World great Podcast, people. another great show. We love them. And we're going to be uh, getting on some shows with them coming up here in the near future. Anyway, I digress. Let's get to who, the person who always has the best <laughs> tips. Let's get to Michelle's tip of the week. Oh, I was looking around the room. Who's supposed to be here? Well, you're sweet, honey. Well, I'm going, continuing on with that Disney Cruise Line theme, because once I started thinking about Disney Cruises, I just couldn't deviate from that. Um, So just a couple little extra special 
things to remind people that are available with the Disney Cruise Line, or if you haven't been on the Disney Cruise Line and you have one a cruise planned, some things to think about that you can do to, you know, make it even a little bit more magical. So um, just three things here. So the first is, especially if you're celebrating something there, well, one, make sure that they know that you're celebrating, like if you're having a birthday or whatever, when you make your reservations. But also if you're um, celebrating a particular special night, you might want to secretly order milk and cookies through room services before the dinner and the show. Mm. Especially like if you have mm-hmm. kids and you want to do something special for them, mm-hmm. maybe not every night, but one pick one night and so that they don't know it's there. It'll be delivered to your room. And when you come back from the show or dinner in the show, it'll be there and a fun way to end the evening. Very nice. Some yeah. milk and cookies. Um, the other thing in talking about the room service available on the Disney cruise ship. Some people may not know that you can pre-order continental style breakfast to your room on on the, each night of the sh- sailings, except for the final night. Right. Um, so you can designate what you want, what time you want it delivered and put it on your, your door, outside your door, and it'll be magically brought to you magically. during that time. Magically. So, um, and... Something I found sometimes when we've sailed on them, it might not always be easy to find the cards. Some people move them around, I think. So if you don't see them right away, you can ask your room steward. But it's it's a great service to be able to have. I mean, yes, going for breakfast into the um, restaurants or to the buffet are fine too. So, But if you like to just wake up with something coming delivered to your door, you can stay in your jammies, then that's an option available to mm-hmm. you. And uh, the other thing, the last thing I wanted to share that people might not know about because it's not really widely put on their website is if your cruise ship is going to Castaway Key, they do have a 5K. Right. And so I know we've talked about it when we've talked about the Run Disney's, but just want to remind people because it isn't always easy to find it talked about on their website. So if you're interested in doing that, you can run or walk it. Um, You can either check in at guest services once you're on board or look at the navigator to find out how to sign up. It's free, but it's a great fun thing to do. You're among the first cruisers to get off the ship. You are the first cruisers to get off the ship. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then, you know, you get to do that and relax afterwards. You get a little medallion. It's, it's, well, not a little. It's a nice, yeah, it's nice, nice size medallion. Um, so it's a fun activity to do if you're getting to go to Castaway Key and it's free. So yeah, and it's you, the benefit of it is you because let's face it, when you're getting to Castaway Key, especially if you're on the bigger ships like the Dream or the Fantasy, uh, the chairs out there the beach chairs are at a premium right you want to get those spots especially if you're on the family beach pretty quickly when you're the first ones off the ship you can go right you you finish the 5k and then you can just go right to those spots i mean yes you're gonna be it's the caribbean it'll be hot you'll be sweaty but you can get your beach chair and you can go right for a dip i mean you're gonna be out there sweating and and getting sun and getting sand on you anyway so what's a little extra sweat from the race there also are showers there not that you're going to want to do a full shower, but right. if you want to just kind of rinse off a little bit, um, I highly recommend signing up for this, whether you walk, whether you run just to get a spot on the beach that much earlier. Right. And um, it is open to um, anyone 10 and older. If you have children that are less than 10, they could actually walk with you. They just cannot officially register and get a bib, but they right. can, they can go along with you. So um, yeah, you're right. Uh, 
you know, bring, bring all your things when you go to do that so that when you're finished the 5k, you can, you don't have to go back to the ship and get all your paraphernalia for the beach. You can be right there and start enjoying it instantaneously. Yeah. So that's, that's a great way to do it and uh, highly recommend it. And you, you you get a bib, you get the medal when you finish it. And it's just a fun way. It's also, if you haven't been to Castaway Key before, you can kind of, as you're going through the pathway, you can kind of acclimate yourself right. to the island as you check it all out, as you're going through there, walking, running, however you want to do it. And then, yes, you gather up your stuff and you go right to your chair and you're the first people out there on the beach. You can stake out the spot you want. Highly recommended. Also, on your uh, room service stuff, uh, when you're talking about getting the milk and cookies, right. if you're someone who likes coffee in the morning, right. this is one of my favorite tips. I've mentioned it a few times on this show. Uh, be sure and order a carafe of coffee that night. You don't have to drink any of it that night. If you want some, great. But their carafes are really fantastic they in the are. fact that you can order a, a pot of coffee the night before and just seal it up tight. And the next morning, as soon as you wake up, you can open that up, pour it into a cup, and it'll still be warm. It's not going to be piping, piping hot, but it'll be a nice cup of right. coffee first thing when you get up in the morning if you're someone who wants a cup of coffee when you first wake up and don't want to try and get on the clothes or get out sure. there and try and head upstairs or whatever. Um, it just It's just an easy way to do it. That's a great point. And remember to bring some cash with you a buck or two for any of these room service attendees who bring you stuff a buck or two depending on how much you order is appreciated tip wise definitely yeah so great tip michelle's tips always the best tips (laughs) thanks let's get to my little teeny tiny second rate tip now um i'm gonna talk i already talked about a little bit about the lamplight lounge i'm gonna talk a little bit about uh when you go there and needing reservations for the Lamplight Lounge. Now, I suggest always, if you want to go to the Lamplight Lounge, and if you've never been to Disney California Adventure Park, if you've never been to the Lamplight Lounge, I highly, highly recommend you do it. Totally. It is an amazing restaurant. Since they redid it this, this last year for Pixar Pier from the Cove Bar and what was Ariel's Grotto before to what it is now, They've done some amazing things. We just ate there for the first time a couple weeks ago. It took us that long to finally get in there. (laughs) We kept forgetting to make reservations as we were making these trips, but we finally did it this last time. And the the decor, the little detail work is fantastic. Wouldn't you agree? I totally would agree. I had my camera out like nonstop for the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes we were in there. It was just really cool to see. Yeah, the ambiance is fantastic. There's so many little things that you may not even notice the first time you go. You'll probably see two, three, four times when you go or whatever. Plus the food, and especially if you like an adult beverage, mm-hmm. the drinks are are really, really good there. Highly recommend you go. But you should probably, if you really want this to be a part of your trip, make a reservation for it. One, it's the easiest way to be sure you get in there. You can set your day up around it so you you know when your time is to eat. Right. So you can, and you don't have to concern yourself with it. And again, you can make those reservations up to 60 days before your trip or your visit to the park, even if it's not just a full trip, even if it's just a day. However, if for some reason you don't get the chance to make a reservation or they're all booked up when you go on there to try and do it, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you cannot get into the Lamplight Lounge. Right. What you can do is they have a, a little line there. It's usually not too big. Maybe, you know, it depends on what time of day you go, but there's a line outside and you can just go there and wait in that line. You go and you go to the front desk and you just tell them, look, I want to eat here. Right. They'll tell they'll take down your name. They'll take down your phone number and they'll say, okay, we think it's going to be about this time. A lot of times it's an hour or more wait, right. but 
They'll let you go out and enjoy the park and they'll text you when your table becomes available. So you can still do this, right. enjoy the park. Now there's no guarantees they'll have a, a spot available for you, but a lot of times they will eventually. Other ways to do it is they also have an outdoor area that's in the upstairs area. We're back where the Cove Bar, where it used to be mostly the Cove Bar. Sure. That outside area, you can also go up and just kind of wait in line and go sit there. Now they don't have the full menu there. They only have the, the drinks and some of the uh, small plates like the there. Yeah, right. which includes the lobster nachos, nice, which everybody wants right? to try, and you should, <laughs> as long as you like lobster, and, but because it's delicious. You should right. try the lobster nachos. So they do have that there. They don't have the full menu, and they don't have dessert there, but they do have some of the small plates, so you can get some nice. food and some drinks. So that's another way to approach it as well. You don't get the, the decor either outside, I mean, but you do get a nice view of Pixar Pier from that area. And it's right, nice right. sometimes to it sit is, outside. Yes, it's beautiful so, out there. Those are a couple other ways you can enjoy the Lamplight Lounge if you don't have a reservation. Again, I fully recommend you make a reservation. If you have a trip planned, especially if you haven't been to Disneyland Resort often or you haven't been in a long time right. since the Lamplight Lounge opened, I suggest you make it part of your trip at some point. You may want to make it a couple points yes, because it's that good and right. it's that much food and it's, it's that interesting to try. Um, I suggest you make a reservation for it and try it out. Yeah, that's, that's a really great point, honey. And that's a perfect tip. Uh, I would totally agree with you on all aspects of that. It, you know, it's, it's a wonderful place to check out and you'll enjoy it. And it's, it's just fun. It really is fun. And the people there are fun and everybody's happy there, right. <laughs> you know, so it's a great place to check out. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I knew I heard about, I, we loved it as the Cove bar. We never actually dined in there as Ariel's grotto, no. but we heard of it as the Cove bar. We loved it as the Cove bar. When we heard they were doing this and we saw the pictures, I'm like, that's magnificent. We really need to go check this out. We just never felt fell into the right spot where we could actually make it in. But when we finally got to go, it was magnificent. We had, of course, the lobster nachos, right. which we had to have. We had a couple Mai Tais because we have <laughs> to have a couple Mai Tais when we're there. And we had uh, we had the ratatouille, yes. which was really, it really was good. Fantastic. She wanted something. Michelle's always trying to be really healthy. I'm like going to Disneyland. <laughs> like, you know, give me the lobster nachos with extra cheese and extra, notch, extra lobster or whatever you can get on there. But she's like, no, I need some vegetables. Let's have the ratatouille. Ratatouille was delicious. It really was. They did a great job on it. So. Yeah. So glad, uh, glad to have tried that. <laughs> right. But there's lots of, that's not the only thing on the menu. There's no, lots, lots of different of things to try things. and we're looking forward to getting back there and we're, we're going to be there for the brunch, of course. Yes. But also we, we want to get back for some other meals and try some of the other great stuff they have. I mean, just to see all the detail work oh, that's I in know. there. It's, it's magnificent. It's cool. Cool. It's cool. 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 So that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us next week. We're going to be on the road. We're actually taking this show on the road for the first ever time. We're traveling to Arizona right. to uh, hang out with our family for the Memorial Day weekend. And we are going to be doing the thing we actually had planned to do this week, which is <laughs> uh, do talking about our Disney memories and you know, a lot of attractions right. and such that have kind of gone by the wayside, what we remember about them. And we're also going to be talking with our family out there and bringing them aboard to join us as well. Yeah, it's going to be a fun show. A lot of 
cute surprises, I think, for people. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think there gonna be some surprises for us when we bring some of your family on and our family on as well. You know, it's gonna be very, very interesting to see what happens with that. So. Fun, fun. Should be a lot of fun. So uh by the way, uh be sure and t- follow us on social media. We want to reach out to you. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but we're coming up, we're two weeks out from our anniversary episode, and we really want to hear from you on on because there's so many of you have helped make this show happen and we do this a lot but yes because we like to talk Disney but because you people are so great all our listeners all our Hyperion adventurers are so great we want to hear from you uh, as to you know what you enjoyed about the show maybe your favorite memory of the show something that happened on the show your favorite episode just anything you want to say about the show and we will be bringing it up coming up on our anniversary episode. Yeah, so please, please do reach out to us and let us know, you know, or if you or if any of the tips have helped you out or mm. anything. Well, of course, there'd be Michelle's tips that help you out because <laughs> no, she has the best tips. But yeah, um, please do reach out to us. Uh, it's been a great interaction uh, year one. We're looking forward to continuing oh, yeah. this and we thank everybody. Right, so much. So if you want to reach out to us, here's the ways you can do it. On social media, we're on Twitter at Hyperion podcast facebook instagram and pinterest now at hyperion adventures podcast and of course you can always email us hyperion adventures podcast at gmail.com so reach out to us let us know give us your feedback on any of the episodes and you know as we've said before please tell a friend if you get a chance giving us a review is also well appreciated right that's absolutely there's no question about that we really love those people who have already given us reviews this year thank you so much and we look forward yes uh, we look forward to many more of you telling your friends about us and getting reviews in the future in the future you can find us on our website please go to our website we're really trying to spice up the website a little bit more we're going to have more going on there so check it out hyperionadventurespodcast.com and of course you can always find us and subscribe to us on iTunes Google Podcasts Spotify Stitcher and SoundCloud yes yes so (laughs) that's that's it for this week thanks for that I know you looked at me like and I was like what you said it all. You did a great job. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't top that. It's the cold medicine. You have to bear with me here. Uh, thanks again for listening to the High Period Adventures podcast. We look forward to sharing some time with you again next week. But until that time, I'm Tom. I'm Michelle. And we hope that you have a magical week. Bye.